happened, Mr. Jordan? Hello, this is Cleo, and you're Easiest listening way to, to WGXC 90.7 FM Acre. funding for the police department budget unless the police chief agreed to open up an investigation on a political rival. Mr. Morrison? In, in that hypothetical, no, I don't think he should do that. Yeah. And Mr. Vol or Ambassador Volker, sure you agree? Yes. And the same would be true if it were a governor withholding uh, the budget request of the state police unless the state police agree to conduct an investigation on a political rival. You would agree? Correct. Yes, sir. In your view, is it any different for a member of Congress? Of course not, right? Would you agree that the president has the same obligation as the mayor, as the governor, as the member of Congress to not withhold aid unless he gets an investigation into a political rival, Mr. Morrison? Yes, sir, I would agree with that hypothetical. I would agree. Thanks. And we're having a debate here, both sides, as to how to read what's plainly before us, the presidential phone call where the president ignored the work of the advisors in the National Security Council of talking points and instead chose to talk about the Bidens uh, and talk about Hunter Biden uh, and ask for an investigation. So we are just going to have to debate that. But isn't the principle that no person, including the president, is above the law absolutely essential and worth the effort to make certain that we continue to guarantee Ambassador Morrison? Sir, I haven't been promoted. I'm sorry, Ambassador yeah. Volker. I'm sorry. Pardon me. Uh, yes. Yeah. And, and Mr. Morrison? Sir, the rule of law is central to our democracy. It's so true. You know, we've had some discussions and challenge from uh, the other side that the president has authority in foreign policy to do what he likes. And in fact, he does. Uh, you know, a recent president by President Trump to take our troops out of Syria and allow uh, the Turkish uh, forces to go in literally meant that some Kurdish families went to bed Saturday night and woke up Sunday morning, packed their kids and fled for their lives. A lot of people, including both sides of the aisle, totally disagreed with that. But the president has the authority to do it, impulsive as that decision may have been, unwise as it may have been, as threatening to our national security. We're not talking about that here. And Ambassador Volker, I've listened to your testimony and I take it uh, and thank you for making efforts to try to advance what had been a bipartisan Ukraine policy, help Ukraine get rid of corruption, help resist Russian aggression. But what you came to learn painfully is that there was a sidebar Ukraine policy with Giuliani as the advocate and it appears Ambassador Sundlin is very much involved. Is that correct? Uh, I don't know everything about that, sir. You don't, but as you have been involved and with the benefit of hindsight, 
while you were working on what you thought was stopping aggression and ending in, 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 in eliminating corruption, there was a side deal here to get investigations going, correct? Yeah. So, yes, uh, sir, my objective was purely focused on support for Ukraine, right, so national would, security, and, and I now have learned through other testimony about the president's statement about investigating Biden right. and other conversations that I did not know about. Right. And thank you for that, and thank you for your candor about Vice President Biden's integrity and service. Uh, but the bottom line here is at the end of the day, we're going to have to make a judgment about what the president was up to with respect to that request for the favor and how it repudiated the policy that was the bipartisan effort in Ukraine and raises questions about he, in that hypothetical example I gave of the mayor, held himself to be above the law. I yield back. Mr. Maloney. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for being here. Um, Ambassador Volker, um, I was struck by your opening statement. Sean Patrick um, Maloney, Democrat from New York. He moved a long way from the testimony um, you presented to us in October. And I know you gave a reason for that, which is that you were in the dark about a lot of these things. Is that fair to say? Um, that is one thing, is that I learned a lot out of the testimony. You of learned others. a lot. Yeah. You learned a lot. And what you said on page 8, I'm referring to your statement that you gave this morning, uh, excuse me, this afternoon, um, that I did not know, this is quoting, I did not know that President Trump or others had raised Vice President Biden with Ukrainians or had conflated the investigation of possible Ukrainian corruption with investigation of the former Vice President Biden, right? Correct. Correct. You didn't know Burisma meant Biden. That's what you're saying. Right. right? I, I had separated the two. I got it. Well, you didn't know, right? I mean, you were, you were, well, do we have to go through it, sir? I mean, you were, you were there on May 23rd for the meeting with the president when he said, talk to Rudy, and Rudy Short cared about the investigations, which you now know meant Biden, right? But you missed it on May 23rd, right? No, sir. Um, I understood at the time that uh, Hunter Biden and Vice President Biden's son had been a board member of Bruce. I understand, no? but you didn't read that as, as a request to investigate the Bidens at Correct. that time. That's all I'm saying. Correct. And on July 10th, you were in not one but two meetings in the White House where Ambassador Sondland raised the investigations, but you didn't know it was about the Bidens. That's your testimony Right? At That's the time. Right. I did not think he was talking about anything specific. Right. You heard him say investigations. You thought it was inappropriate, and the chairman asked you about that. But you said, oh, it's because I didn't know it was the Bidens. I just thought it was inappropriate. And then I guess when they were in the wardroom and, in, and Ambassador Sondland raised Burisma and the Bidens in 2016, you, you missed that too, as I understand it. That is correct. Right. And, and, and then, of course, on July 18th, you knew aid was withheld. And then in August, you spent a good part of the time with this statement with Rudy Giuliani, right? I mean, you were the guy making the changes and interacting with Ukrainians. You were putting in Rudy's changes, which included a call for investigating Burisma and the 2016 elections, which you now know meant Biden's, right? Um, you didn't know it at the time, right? But now we know it, right? And then on September 1st, you were in Warsaw. I mean, you were at every point in this. You were in Warsaw, and you were there when Ambassador Sondland told Andre Yermak that he was not going to get security assistance, he wasn't going to get a White House meeting unless there was the investigation. And, and I understand you missed that, you were out of the loop then. Um, that's right? not correct, sir. So I was not in Warsaw at these meetings. Oh, excuse me. You were not in Warsaw, but you heard about it right after from Sondland. Is that right? Uh, no, that's not quite correct either. It was sometime later. I got it. So, but now we know, right? Now you know what, we, what it meant. 
and you said, in retrospect, I should have seen that connection differently, and had I done so, I would have raised my own objections. Right, that is correct. And what are the objections you would have raised, sir? That, that people, what I would have raised is that people are conflating investigating the Bidens with investigating this Ukrainian but if company, you, Would you have objected to the president asking for an investigation of the Bidens, as you sit here now, you said, I would have raised my own objections. Yes. If you knew it was the Bidens. If I knew we were talking about investigating Vice President Biden and asking the Ukrainians and to his do son. that, that would, be, that would be inappropriate, and I would have objected to that. Right. And, when, and so if you had heard him ask for it on the call, and you said, in, in retrospect, the Ukrainians clearly would have been, it would have been confusing, right? Correct. Is confusing the right word, sir? I mean, it would have put them in the position of having to do something inappropriate, right? Well, Investigate the Biden. I think confusing is the right word because they were clearly hearing something different from the president uh, in one conversation and different from me as a U.S. special representative. Well, or maybe, sir, Taylor they understood the that investigating Burisma and investigating 2016, in fact, meant the Bidens even though you didn't. I mean, in fact, at the time you were talking to Yermak and putting those changes in the statement, he had talked to Sondland Right at the same time, and, and, and so the point being that, that they were put in an impossible position. They were being asked to do something inappropriate, and you now know that, right? And you would have, you would have raised your own objections. Well, I, I know they were asked in the phone call to do that. In the conversations that I had with the Ukrainians, we were not asking them to do that. And even at that point, the Ukrainians, perhaps with the knowledge of this phone call, which I did not have knowledge of at the time, they said, we just don't want to go there. Right. And so, so in retrospect, though, you would have raised objections. You would have said it was inappropriate for the president Correct. to do this. Correct. And Mr. Morrison, can I just ask you, sir, so you, I'm, stuck, I'm stuck on this issue of, of you didn't see anything wrong with the call, but you went straight to NSC Legal to report it. Is that your testimony to us today? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Yield back. Ms. Demings. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Morrison, and to well, both Demings of you, is uh, a thank you so much for your service. Thanks for being here. It's been a long day. Mr. Morrison, just to follow up on the question from my colleague, you responded earlier to a series of questions about the call and basically saw nothing wrong with it, yet you skipped your chain of command to go to legal counsel to find out, I guess, to find out what to do because you were concerned about the political fallout, not about anything being inappropriate or wrong with the call. Is that correct? Ma'am, I don't agree with the premise, no. Okay, could you tell me why you felt the need? You saw nothing basically wrong with the call, yet you skipped your chain of command to go to counsel because of what? What was the reason for that? I, I, I don't know that I... Again, I don't agree with the premise, ma'am. I don't think I did skip my chain of command. If I had seen something wrong, I would have. Who do you, who's your direct report? Uh, the Deputy National Security Advisor. And the name of the person? Dr. Charles Kupperman. Okay, time. Dr. Kupperman. Did you speak with him before you spoke with legal counsel? No. No, ma'am. But you don't feel you skipped your chain of command in doing so, going directly to counsel? Ma'am, if I may. Uh, I viewed my engagement with uh, the NSC legal advisor as one largely focused on administrative matters. I was interested in locking down the transcript. Uh, that's an administrative matter. I was interested in making sure that the legal advisor was aware of the call because I didn't see anybody from the legal advisor's office. And why were you so concerned about the legal advisor being aware of this call that you saw nothing 
basically wrong with the substance or content of the call? Because I, I did not see anybody from the legal advisor's office in the listening room, and I wanted to make sure somebody from the legal advisor's office was aware, and I wanted to make sure it was a senior person. And what is it that you wanted them to be aware of specifically? I, I, I wanted them to, to be aware of the call because I, I wanted them to know what had transpired. What concerned you to the point where you wanted them to know what had transpired that you went directly to legal counsel to inform them of? My, my equivalent, the, the head of NSC Legal was, was and is John Eisenberg. He was, he was my equivalent in that position. I wouldn't go to somebody subordinate to him. I would go to him. Didn't you testify earlier that you were concerned about the political fallout I, I was, based on the political climate in D.C.? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. And so how long have you supervised Lieutenant Colonel Vinman? Uh, ma'am, uh, approximately, well, I guess not approximately, July 15 to October 31 or so. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, Ambassador Volker, you testified that you believe congressional pressure helped unfreeze the security assistance uh, being released. Do you still... Uh, stand by that testimony today? I, I believe it was important. I, I met with uh, staff members of the Senate Armed Services Committee. Um, I then saw the letter that several senators signed and sent to uh, Chief of Staff Mulvaney, and I was uh, briefed about the possibility of a couple of phone calls from some senior members of the Senate as well. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, I yield my remaining time to you. Adam Schiff, Thank California you, Ambassador Volker, just want to follow up on a couple of questions about Ukrainians not being aware of the aid being withheld. Um, you're aware, I'm sure, of the testimony of uh, Colonel Vindman that, in fact, uh, he was uh, contacted by someone within the Ukrainian embassy who was concerned about the whole prior to its becoming public. Um, I, I was not aware of that, but I, I take that. Are you aware of uh, Ms. Croft's testimony and transcripts that have been released that, in fact, the Ukrainians found out Quite quickly, after the hold was placed in July, that she was impressed with Ukrainian tradecraft uh, and that the Ukrainians had a reason to keep it silent and not make it public? Uh, I saw that in her testimony. You don't have any reason to question whether, in fact, that testimony is accurate, do you? No, I don't. So the Ukrainians did find out before it was public, at least according to these two witnesses. But nevertheless, the Ukrainians certainly found out it was public when it was published in the newspaper, right? That is correct, in August 29th. And at the time they found out uh, from the newspaper, they still hadn't had the White House meeting, and they still didn't have the aid. And at that point, they had already had the conversation with the president in which he asked them to investigate the Bidens, correct? Uh, that is correct. Um, Mr. Christian Murthy. Raja Krishnamurthy is a Democrat from Illinois. He is the final uh, lawmaker Volker, uh, scheduled to ask questions. will probably be today, quick. Said, Closing uh, statements since, afterwards. Uh, want to invite you to stay for our post-show uh, that will follow the conclusion of this hearing. But this is now Raja Krishnamurthy, uh, Democrat from Illinois. Additional information and perspectives have come to light. I have learned many things that I did not know at the time of the events in question, correct? Yes, that is correct. That includes conversations that occurred as well as meetings that occurred of which you weren't a part, correct? That's correct. Sir, you obviously uh, were not a part of the July 25th call. Uh, 
Isn't that right? That is correct. Uh, you were not aware that Ambassador Sondland, according to your opening statement, had a call with President Trump on July 26th, correct? That is correct. On September 1st, you weren't present for the sidebar meeting between Ambassador Sondland and Special Advisor Yermak, isn't in that right? That is correct. And you certainly weren't part of the phone call between uh, Ambassador Taylor and Ambassador Sondland, in which Ambassador Sondland, uh, according to multiple, multiple people now, said that everything, a White House meeting as well as military aid, were dependent on public uh, announcements of investigations. Isn't that right? That is correct. And certainly, sir, you weren't part of the phone call on September 7th uh, between Ambassador Sondland and President Trump, in which President Trump insisted that President Zelensky go to a mic and publicly announce investigations of President Trump's domestic rivals. Isn't that, that right? That is correct. And certainly, you weren't part of the September 8th phone call between Ambassador Sondland and uh, Ambassador Trump, I'm sorry, President Trump, where President Trump again insists that uh, these announcements have to happen. Isn't that right? That is correct. Sir, you say that you weren't a witness to any kind of quid pro quo or conditionality between military assistance and investigations, what someone called missiles for misinformation today. Isn't that right? That is correct. But sir, you weren't present for many if not all of the phone calls and conversations where these alleged instances of quid pro quo occurred. Isn't that right? Uh, that is correct. Sir, let me turn your attention to another topic that's come up today. Um, or actually, it came up last Friday. Uh, you have high regard for Ambassador Yovanovitch, correct? Yes, I do. Uh, I presume that you were aware that as the ambassador was testifying, President Trump actually tweeted very disparaging remarks about her, right? Yes, I saw that moment. And I presume that you disapprove of those types of tweets, correct? Yes, I don't think that's appropriate. Um, you've supervised many, many people over the years during your uh, career in the Foreign Service, right? Yes, I have. And you would never do that to one of your um, direct reports or anybody who worked in your organization, right? No, I would not. It's just wrong. Yeah. Uh, I believe that uh, even when you feel like you need to criticize, criticism is private, praise is public. And I also believe that you're a man of honor and you would not attack a veteran. You would not attack someone who is currently serving in the military who's doing their duty, correct? Uh, I respect the service of our members in uniform. In fact, um, there's a certain man that we both admire the late Senator John McCain, yes, who unfortunately was attacked not only when he was alive, but after he died by the current president. Isn't that right? That is true. And I, I presume that you would disapprove of all of those attacks on John McCain, right? Yes, I, know John, I knew John McCain very, very well for a very long time. He's an honorable man and uh, very much a war hero for this country. Well, today, sir, as... Lieutenant Colonel Vindman was testifying, our president used the official Twitter account of the office of the president to attack Lieutenant Colonel Vindman's credibility. Mm. I presume you don't approve of those 
types of tweets either, do you? I was not aware of that, and, and as with Ambassador Yovanovitch, not appropriate. Thank you, sir. Thank, thank you, you for your service, and thank you, Mr. Morrison, for yours as well. That concludes the member questioning. I now uh, recognize ranking member for any closing comments he has. Thank you. As the first day of this week's impeachment TV Devin marathon Nunes, draws Republican, to a close, California. I'd like to remind the American people what we're watching. The public hearings are the culmination of three years of incessant Democrat efforts to find a crime to impeach the president. First, they tried to manufacture evidence that the president colluded with Russia. To accomplish this task, the DNC and the Clinton campaign worked with the former British spy Christopher Steele. Steele assembled a dossier of false information alleging the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. That dossier was largely assembled from Russian and Ukrainian sources that the Democrat contractors worked with. Next, they primed their hopes on the work of Robert Mueller. Mueller spent two years and millions of taxpayer dollars seeking evidence of a crime that we know wasn't committed. Mueller's failure, failure was a devastating blow to Democrats who clearly hoped his work to be the basis for the removal of the president. Today we are witnessing the Ukraine hoax, the direct-to-TV sequel to the Russia collusion hoax. The plot of the Ukraine hoax is hard to follow. It shifts from day to day. First, the Democrats claimed they had evidence of quid pro quo, then extortion and witness intimidation. Now Democrats are pinning their hopes on bribery. Like any good Hollywood production, Democrats needed a screen test before releasing their latest attack on the president. They leveraged the secrecy of the House Intelligence Committee to interview a cast of characters in preparation for these public hearings. With the media's enthusiastic support, they built a narrative based on selectively leaked testimony. Speaker Pelosi and the Democrats on this committee are seeking the truth. They would want to know the answers to the following questions that they refused to ask. To what extent did the whistleblower coordinate with the Democrats on this committee and or his staff? What is the full extent of Ukraine's election meddling against the Trump campaign in 2016? Why did Burisma hire Hunter Biden, and what did he do for them, and did his position impact any U.S. government actions under the Obama administration? The American people were promised a grave and somber impeachment inquiry. Instead, they got the salacious spy screen comedy that they've been working on for three years. Good night. See you in the morning. I thank the gentleman, um, and I thank you both for your testimony Adam today. Adam Schiff, California Democrat. Um, I would highlight a couple things about what we've heard uh, this afternoon. First, uh, Ambassador Volker, uh, your written testimony in which you say, in hindsight, I now understand that others saw the idea of investigating possible corruption involving the Ukrainian company Burisma as equivalent to investigating former Vice President Biden. I saw them as very different, the former being appropriate and unremarkable, the latter being unacceptable. In retrospect, you said, I should have seen that connection differently, and had I done so, I would have raised my own objections. Ambassador, we appreciate uh, your willingness to amend your earlier testimony in light of what you now know. 
And I think you've made it very clear that knowing what you do today, that in fact the President sought an investigation of his political rival, Vice President Biden, that you would not have countenanced any effort to encourage the Ukrainians to engage in such conduct. I appreciate also that you were able to debunk, I hope, for the last time, the idea that Joe Biden did something wrong when he, in accordance with U.S. policy, sought to replace a corrupt prosecutor, something that not only the U.S. State Department wanted, not only the European Union wanted, and not only the IMF wanted, but was the consensus position of the United States national security infrastructure. Um, you didn't get a lot of questions about that today, as other witnesses did, because I think you effectively said that was all nonsense. We appreciate your candor about that. Mr. Morrison, I think what is most remarkable about your testimony is the acknowledgement that immediately after the Vice President met with President Zelensky in Warsaw, uh, you witnessed Gordon Sondland meeting with Andrei Yermak, a top advisor to President Zelensky, and then immediately thereafter, Sondland told you that he had informed the Ukrainians that if they wanted that $400 million in military aid, they were going to have to do those investigations that the President wanted. And you were later informed, and this is also significant, as you've testified here today, that the Ambassador Sondland had a subsequent conversation with President Trump and informed you that it wasn't going to be enough for the Ukrainian Prosecutor General to announce the investigations the President wanted. President Zelensky had to do it himself if he wanted to get that aid, let alone the meeting in the White House. Now, you've been asked to opine on the meaning of the term bribery, uh, although you weren't asked to opine on the meaning of the terms high crimes and misdemeanors. But bribery, for those watching at home, is the conditioning of official acts in exchange for something of personal value. The official acts we're talking about here are a White House meeting that President Zelensky desperately sought, and as you have acknowledged, Ambassador Volker, was deeply important to this country at war with Russia, to show the United States had this new president's back. That meeting was important. That meeting is an official act. The military assistance is even more significant because Ukrainians are dying every day in their war with Russia. And so the withholding of military assistance to get these investigations, which you now have acknowledged, Ambassador Volker, was wrong for the president to request, the idea of withholding that military aid to get these political investigations should be anathema, to, repugnant to every American, because it means the sacrifice, not just of Ukrainian national security, but American national security, for the interests of the president personally and politically. Now, my Republican colleagues, all they seem to be upset about with this is not that the president sought an investigation of his political rival, not that he withheld a White House meeting and $400 million in aid we all pass on a bipartisan basis to pressure Ukraine to do those investigations. Their objection is he got caught. Their objection is that someone blew the whistle. And they would like this whistleblower identified. And the president wants this whistleblower punished. That's their objection. Not that the president engaged in this conduct, but that he got caught. Their defense is, well, 
he ended up releasing the aid. Yes, after he got caught. That doesn't make this any less odious. Now, Americans may be watching this and asking, why should the United States care about Ukraine? Why should we care about Ukraine? And this was the import, uh, I think, of the conversation, the now infamous conversation in that Kiev restaurant with Gordon Sondland holding the phone away from his head because the president was talking so loud. What does the president ask in that call the day after the now infamous call he had with Zelensky? What does he ask on that cell phone call? Not whether the RADA had passed some new anti-corruption reform. No. Are the Ukrainians going to do the investigation? Meaning into Biden. And Sondland's answer is, they're going to do it. They'll do essentially anything the president wants. But what's more telling is the conversation, I think, that Sondland has with the Foreign Service Officer Holmes afterwards, in which the president says, basically, Donald Trump doesn't give an expletive about Ukraine. He cares about the big things. And Mr. Holmes says, well, Ukraine's at war with the, Russia, the Russians. That's kind of a big thing. And Sondland's answer is, no, no. He cares about big things that affect his personal interests. This is why Americans should care about this. Americans should care about what happens to our allies who are dying, but Americans should care about their own national security and their own president and their own constitution. And they will need to ask themselves, as we will have to ask ourselves in Congress, are we prepared to accept that a president of the United States can leverage official acts, military existence, White House meetings, to get an investigation of a political rival. Are we prepared to say, well, you know, I guess that's just what we should expect at a president of the United States. I don't think we want to go there. I don't think our founding fathers would have wanted us to go there. Indeed, I think when the founding fathers provided a remedy, that remedy being impeachment, they had the very concern that a president of the United States may betray the national security interests of the country for personal interests. Um, you can become like a member. They put that remedy in the Constitution. Member, but there are a lot of resources available for free as well. So if you want to go and just see what's going on. You can noodle no and noodle right. and noodle and then bake it again. You can, you can follow <laughs> some of the uh, answer, questions and answers that are going on. But if you really want to get involved in it, there is a fee. Yeah, and the right. fee is like for lessons and stuff like that. But on YouTube, you can also find a lot of really great videos. So, and and uh, one of the other things that he he plays a lot with the Hawaii sessions, which are it's definitely worth checking out. All right, cool. super cool. So, is that, did we did we get all the songs? Uh, we covered all the songs in in um in sort of spiral order. Yep. In, Good. In no, yeah, in no particular order. No particular order, right? <laughs> well, um, I have on the line uh, with us. Um, uh, Bill Wynn uh, from um, uh, New Jersey. And Bill uh, is a, a really good musician and, and really a, uh, his, he's best known for his huge collection of Hawaiian music. Um, are you there, Bill? Hang on a second. I have to just wing you in. Hang on. So uh, uh, Bill has been really great. He sent, he's uh, sent us some music to play. Um, as well as um, uh, uh, as well as 
uh, being very generous to talk to us. Are you there, Bill? We're not hearing him. All right. So let's see. Is he coming in small mixer? Are you there, Bill? Ah, there we go. Can you hear me now? Yeah, there we are. Hey, man. Awesome. Aloha, guys. Aloha. Aloha. All right. So, uh, Bill, uh, welcome to the place. So, uh, how do you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? This is Carmen asking. Are you there, Bill? Tell us, just tell us a little about yourself. Tell us about your uh, record collection. Tell us about, uh, you, you Let's, Something let's weird's going on. I can't the... hear you guys. I think you can hear me clearly, but I can't hear you guys at all on the phone. Oh, uh, we can hear you so amazingly, just as our <laughs> listeners can as well. How about now? Hey, Bill, can you hear You're us? You're back. There you are. Okay, good. So the I question can. I have for you is, you know, would you just tell us about yourself and, and your passion with Hawaii? I wish I understood it, John. I don't understand it, and... I've had people do genealogies to try to find some Hawaiian bloodlines and we can't find them. But I can tell you this, um, from as early as I can remember, my mother, father, uncle, and family friends had a Polynesian luau show that went up and down the East Coast. My father is a stellar steel guitarist. He's still doing it after 50 years. My mother played upright bass. My uncle played keyboards. And after a couple of years, uh, they ran out of babysitters or babysitting money for me. I'm not sure. So they started taking me along. And I, I brought an ukulele with me and realized that people will throw money at you if you play. And I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. Um, but I wasn't really digging the music that they played. It was kind of slow. It was for the hula. And I, I didn't really enjoy it. But I did this this Polynesian partridge family thing my entire young life and <laughs> probably missed out on a lot of things, but gained an appreciation for all things Hawaiian somehow. So fun. So uh, in so the first instrument you learned, that was ukulele? Yeah, I got a Sears ukulele, a King model ukulele for my second birthday wore the paint off of it by my fifth birthday uh, and then begged my father for um, a Kamaka tenor way out of the price range. But I I got it for Christmas 1975 and I had to have the Barkus Berry pickup too, because my hero, Jesse Kalima, that's what he was playing. So I had the first electric ukulele on my block in New Jersey. That's like totally solid upbringing you're describing there. So, um, and but then you you started collecting music, right? Yeah, the thing was that I didn't really dig the the music that my parents were playing with all due respect to them and and with all due respect to Hawaiian music because it's music that I learned to love in later life. Um but it was just kind of slow and languorous and it put me to sleep. Uh but then because we were in with the local Hawaiian community, if you could sing a Hawaiian song, all the local Hawaii expatriates would just fall in love with you. They would go home to Hawaii every year and they would bring me suitcases full of records. And that's when I started to hear some really cool, cool stuff. And, you know, at a time when my friends were listening to ACDC and the Stones and the Beatles, I needed something to captivate my attention or this Hawaiian music was just going to go off a cliff for me. Wow. That's great. So let's let's play something. I'm going to put on this is um 
uh, Herb Oda playing Feelings. This did not actually come from Hawaii. This is really interesting. My mother used to listen to a Philadelphia Easy listening station called Easy 101. And at the time that I was eschewing all of my parents' music, I heard this ukulele virtuoso on Easy 101 in Philadelphia, and his name I had never heard before. And I had to go into a Sam Goody store and track this guy down. This is the kind of cheese that I was listening to, and I can still play note for note all these years later. This is how I learned to play the ukulele. <laughs> Fabulous. Let's give it a listen.
All right, that was great. A little schmaltzy, huh? Are you there, Bill? All right, so we're having a little microphone problems. And uh, let's see. We're having a little technical difficulties. Hang on a second. Yes. Okay, I think we're gonna. Uh, I think we're gonna drop in here with a little. I am. Can you hear me? Oop, there's. There we go. There we go. Hey. Okay. So go hey. ahead. Yeah, that was schmaltzy. I wanted to concur with you before we move forward. That, but that's how I learned to play the ukulele. And Herb put out two albums that were um, internationally distributed on A and M, uh, Herb Alpert's record label. And um, I could play those two albums back and forth, note for note. But uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> It's funny, you know, I grew up on Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and Yes, and that kind of stuff, and I could sing that stuff note for note, Just, and it's probably the same kind of thing, right, Bill? Yeah, muscle memory. Yeah, it's great. So what what do we have next? Well, I was saying that um, music, Hawaiian music, in the, it, it, when I first heard it, my parents' kind was not too captivating for me, so... The local Hawaiians brought me back records, and these records were uh, of a variety they refer to now. They, they created their own genre in the 70s called Contemporary Hawaiian, and they infused classical and rock and jazz into the, the Hawaiian idiom, and it became more interesting for me. So I've got three tracks up for you. Um, we'll talk about them afterwards, but the first one I want listeners to really pay attention to because i think 70 percent of people who own an ukulele in the last 30 years bought one because they heard is is over the rainbow right yeah that, yeah sure. so, yeah. so yeah. this was israel kamaka viva ole's first commercial recording it was with a group called the makaha sons of niihau his brother skippy is in this group it was a a, a quartet with a wash tub bass and this was the beginning of contemporary hawaiian music all right bring it on I'm 
Come on, 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 come on,
great go ahead bill can you hear me mm-hmm. yep we've got this figured out now um so what did we hear that last thing was called uh puhio which uh is a hawaiian word an ancient hawaiian word it means a slow hot wind and it was about uh this gentleman's dog that uh couldn't control himself um so um <laughs> <laughs> song was written by Uncle Sam Ako. He's still alive. He's well in his 80s on the island of Maui. And the ukulele there was played by Eddie Lilikoi, who also from Maui, who just passed away a few months ago. It's very sad, but I love that group. Uh, they were called the New Paradise uh, Serenaders. They were huge in the 70s. Before that, the biggest thing of the 70s and 80s and 90s, the Peter Moon Band, that was an offshoot of a group that uh, started as a group called the Sunday Manoa and then there was some uh, animus among the members. And so their leader, Peter Moon, went off and made his own band. And he was always doing some rock or jazz or country-infused Hawaiian music. And um, he was very big on overdubbing a la Les Paul. So you heard him both on the ukulele and the slack key guitar there. Oh, very cool. And we opened up with the Makaha Sons of Ni'ihau, led by... Uh, the ukulele of Israel Kamaka Viva Ole. So that's probably a good 20, 25 years before his turn at Over the Rainbow. Wow. Fantastic. Now, you've met a lot of these guys, haven't you? I have. In fact, that first group, uh, the Makaha Sons, I opened for them at Carnegie Hall in 1996. Unfortunately, at that point, uh, speaking of animus among groups, Iz had already left the group and gone off on as a solo act. So then the group was now a trio, but I opened for them at Carnegie Hall. So I have made it a point over 17 or 18 visits to Hawaii to meet these musicians and play with these musicians, or if they have passed to meet their children and grandchildren to try to get a better insight into their music and their psyche. Oh, fabulous. Now, uh, you, you know, you started with ukulele, but then you moved on to other instruments, right? And ultimately singing. Yeah, I so I cycled through these things. Um, I, I from the ukulele, I went to the slack key guitar, inspired by guys like Peter Moon, whom you just heard, and Sonny Chillingworth and Ledward Kaapana, who's one of those guys who would become my friend. Um, and then the steel guitar, which was my father's instrument, I saved that for last because I said I don't want to do anything my father does. That's not cool. So, <laughs> but it became cool, and I heard some players that really inspired me, and so I took up the steel when I was twenty-two or twenty-three years old. I'm very well known for that. But the thing is, the thing that's that was at the time dying in Hawaii was the language. And so I slept, taught myself about a thousand, maybe closer to 1200 Hawaiian language songs. And I took up 
the falsetto singing, which had started to die off uh, by that point. So there were not a lot of young people doing it. But uh, after doing it for some decades, uh, I won a recording contract in Honolulu in a contest like American Idol, but just for gentlemen who sang in that ethereal, heavenly, high voice. It's it's not considered womanly there. It's considered very masculine in Hawaii. Well, this is Carmen uh, cutting in here. I uh, So I, I, I want to find out more someday about, uh, first of all, uh, sleep learning. And then um, <laughs> sleep learning a new falsetto thing. So right there, you got my attention, like, for good. So. It's really easy. It, uh, you just have to lay down in the bed at night, put on your headphones, and put the uh, CD player on infinite repeat. Uh, okay. And do you do, like, one CD per night? What I was doing for a while is something that one of my Hawaiian mentors taught me, which was one song a week. Because not only do you not do you have to know the Hawaiian words, but to sing it with any modicum of feeling, you got to know what those Hawaiian words mean. And Hawaiian poetry uses a technique known as kauna, which is very Shakespearean or Chaucer-like. Uh, not to get too academic, but it's layers and layers and layers of meaning. So. Something doesn't mean what it means on its surface in Hawaiian poetry. So to sing it with feeling, you really have to know what that poet meant. Wow. So did you get fluent in Hawaiian? No. You know, having met and be well, take take the Makaha sons that we just listened to. Their last leader, Moon Kawakahi, uh, is a Hawaiian language professor. And one of the pieces of advice he gave me was that learning conversational Hawaiian is not going to help you learn poetic Hawaiian. He felt that I had enough of a base of vocabulary and, and grammatical structure to dissect these songs on my own with a little help, often from the composers themselves. So um, I did not learn to speak conversational Hawaiian. And now that my contemporaries do, it leaves me out because they're sitting around the 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 uh, green room uh, at a concert speaking Hawaiian. I'm going, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then you go out on stage and sing this beautiful uh, poetry, right? Yeah, sort of like a Mel Tillis of Hawaiian music. I can sing it, but I can't speak it. That's so great. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Well, you have to know the story, right, of each song. That's super important, yeah. isn't it? So, uh, Bill, can I play one of your songs? Um, I suppose. Um, let's play one of the contest losers. It took me five tries to win the contest contest uh -huh. and um the song that i lost with the the year before i won was my favorite and when they gave me the recording contract i said let's lead off the album with a loser so if you could cue up kuuipo kuu aloha poina ole or ida's hula and you are listening to wgxc fm 90.7 acre ukuleles unleashed
This is Cleo, and you're listening to WGXC 90.7 FM Acre.
station. And you're listening to Ukuleles Unleashed on WGXC Acre. We're happy to have you aboard. Uh, I'm Johnny Sturman, and we've got we're Carmen Borgia on the other microphone over here. And with us is Mike Del Rocco and Lee Van Swal. Yeah. Hanging out. Say something for yourself. Say hello or something. Hello. Hello. All right. It's great there we to go. be here. And then we've got Bill Wynn on the line. And uh, Bill, are you there? Yeah, we're so close with the technology. So very close. Bill, you there now? Still no Bill. But Bill is here with us in he spirit. He is with us, yes. And so uh, Bill's been uh, telling us what to play. Um, we just listened to uh, Lyle Ritz. Are you there yet, Bill? Yeah, that was a super jazzy, like smooth, smooth oh smooth. Yeah, and and what Bill was telling me is that uh, Lyle Ritz is a, a bass player um, uh, and has been, been doing this a long time. Very good. Are you there? Come on. I'm actually still caught up on this whole like sleep learning thing because I do have a song that I'm working on that's half Hawaiian. Uh, yeah. When when I got married, I I was married in Honolulu in Hawaii, and uh, our wedding song was the Rainbow Connection, um, and it was the the version that uh, was done by the brothers Casimero. And so I really I'm desperate to learn it. Um, so maybe if I play it over and over under my pillow at night, all the Hawaiian will sink in. Wasn't there marine fauna involved in your wedding ceremony? There was so much involved in my wedding ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my mother-in-law went and found some special Hawaiian uh, lays for us and had them made down in Chinatown specifically for us. These, you know, And when you're getting married, there's a special lay that you wear. And so then we went down and into town. We, d- we didn't actually have a reception. It was... Uh, it it was just there was a festival in Honolulu that that day and there were nine bands playing down in town so it was like you know we had fifty thousand people at our reception so you just totally hijacked someone else's festival is totally uh, you know and and Dwight was and Here's I were wearing a festival let's have a wedding exactly so we were wearing our wedding lays and one of the traditions is to put money in the pocket of the groom so we like that tradition well, I love that <laughs> so nice. so I guess now you know every time we go just walk around with your wedding lay and. You know, well, we're still uh, we're still working here a little bit technically to get Bill Wynn back on the line. Look, we're ukuleles unleashed. We're not like you know mixing board unleashed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> can you hear me now? Oh, there yes. you go. There yes, you we go. can. All right, good. I want to help Lee out with her dilemma. It's the last thing I heard, but uh, uh, being an avid party, collector of Hawaiiana, um, I can tell you that the lyrics, all four verses to the Rainbow Connection were on the Japanese release of that album by the Brothers Casimero, so I will get those for you after this show. Awesome. I appreciate that. Well, Bill, tell us about what we just heard. We were listening to um, uh, Lyle Ritz and Jesse Kalima. Yeah, Lyle was one of the first albums that I had. So when people realized I was serious about the ukulele and, you know, I was playing, you know, Flight of the Bumblebee and trying to be, you know, some concert ukulele player 30 years before Jake was born, um, (laughs) uh, they gave me these albums by people. And somebody gave me this this old jazz album by Lyle Ritz called How About Uke? Clever name. And uh, it's really a jazz album. Uh, and and I think I heard you say uh, that Lyle was a jazz bass player who goes all the way back to the Benny Goodman days. He played with Benny Goodman and then moved forward. 
with the wrecking crew and was even uh, the bassist on some of the cuts on the Beach Boys Pet Sounds. But the ukulele was what he was born to do. Um, so I, I enjoyed that record as a kid. The one before that was the reason why I had a Barkus Berry pickup in my first Kamaka tenor. That was Jesse Kalima. And I've been honored to get to know both his daughter and his son-in-law and part of the great Ho'olohiho radio archives here that I'm sitting in is a number of home recordings by Jesse that I'm going to try to get into the commercial market uh, someday soon because the things he did in his home were better than anything he did in the studio. Wow, that's so great. So tell us a little bit about uh, your radio station. Well, Ho'olohiho means to listen again. And I robbed that from one of my other heroes, Sinatra, who named his record label Reprise, which means to listen again. And the goal was to play only out-of-print material from my Hawaiian music archives, of which there are about 25,000 tracks on various archaic media, from LPs to 45s to 78s to open reel tapes to cassettes. Yet, Believe it or not, some things in the late 80s were only released on cassettes because people got caught between the LP and the CD and said, I don't know what to do. We'll just do a cassette. And that was it. So um, Ho'olohe'ho Radio was born that way. And what I spend my evenings and early mornings doing is remastering those things in a state-of-the-art studio in my basement in New Jersey. And they go out to air. And um, there's very few other places besides university libraries and museums where you'll hear these tracks. Wow. And so how can uh, it's 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 out on the web. You have it, it on the is. line on the interwebs. So the easiest way to get there is to go to live365.com. That is our host platform and just go to international and Pacific and look for the HHR logo. I made the mistake of using Hawaiian words in the name so people are not listening because they never find it. So um, it's called Ho'oloheho Radio. Or you can just go to my website, which is HawaiianMusicLives.com slash listen there you go and and you'll get the same stream right yep that's great Will you tell us just a little bit about the mastering process that you're doing are you listening to everything and tweaking it and i was for the longest time i was using soundforge which is kind of a standard in in recording studios and then i found this amazing little device called the um Oh, what is it called? The uh, Sweet Vinyl Sugar Cube. The Sugar Cube SC1 will remaster an album in one pass and remove all the ticks, pops, clicks, and surface noise. So rather than listening to these things and having to painstakingly remove one scratch at a time, uh, I can do this in one pass and have something ready for radio right now. Oh, my gosh. that's We love technology. So it's my there. friend. Especially when it comes to bringing old recordings just to a place where we can have a listen. The technology is so good, Carmen, that I've started a record company to go with the radio stations called Ho'olohe'ho Records. And I'm now working with the owners of these um, recordings, the the copyrights, Mm -hmm. to re-release some of these. We have about 12 releases slated for 2020. And because the master tapes have been destroyed, we are remastering them from the vinyl and the shellac. Whoa, that's rough. It's, it, but it, what an effort! I mean, it's well, that's super. Heroic. No, that's super great work you're doing there. So the, I hope I you'll think keep the, us the, posted. 
the world deserves to hear the music again. Mm -hmm. I walk into a, you know, a record store like our local Princeton Record Exchange is a really top notch record store. And a couple of millennials will walk in and this is not a, a crack on millennials by any means, but I'll hear one of them say to the other, I don't even know what we're doing here. Everything you'd ever want to hear is on Spotify. And I put my arm around their shoulder. I was like, let me tell you a story, kid. <laughs> Bill, That's so great. Bill, how long have you been doing this? You've been well. The radio collecting... station for the the radio station formally launched on July fifth, two thousand fifteen, which was a very special date. It was the eightieth anniversary of the launch of the first Trans Pacific radio broadcast from Hawaii called Hawaii Calls. It was a popular radio show for some 40 years. And I said, let me do something to honor them, which ironically, that was the kind of music my father loved that I completely despised when I was a kid. And I have learned to love it and have befriended many of the original Hawaii Calls cast members and their children and grandchildren. But before that, dating back to 2008, I did this as a podcast. And I was saying to John in some, some email exchanges we had, I didn't realize at first my transgression into copyright infringement because you can't use copyrighted materials in a podcast, although to this day, many people do. So I said to get this music out there legitimately and to make sure that artists and composers get paid, it's got to be radio. That's the only legit and legal way to do it. Uh, but I guess you could say if you include the podcast, I've been doing this since 2008. Wow. Wow. It's so great. Bill, thank you Thanks so much, much for spending the time with us. Thank you, Bill. Um, Thanks for having me. We, what a we, joy. We, yeah, it was really terrific, and you really turned us on to some fabulous music. We'll bring you back for sure. Um, uh, pick a song, and we'll take us out. Well, let's see. We talking food yet? Yep, always talking food. Well, let's go with a song by Eddie Kamai. I don't think we've heard Eddie yet, and I don't know if you guys spin Eddie, but uh, cue up Na'ai Ono. Um, by Eddie Kamai and the Sons of Hawaii. This is an out-of-print record, out-of-print since 1963 or 64 when it was released. Eddie Kamai was a virtu uh, virtuoso of, of the uh, ukulele, and he also infused jazz into his playing, and he created this seminal folk group called the Sons of Hawaii. And uh, this is from his album called This Is Eddie Kamai. The song is called Na Iono, which means tasty things. And it's all about the delicacies of Hawaiian uh, dining table. Uh, Bill, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Thank Mahalo. you so much for appearing Mahalo. on Ukuleles on the list. Thanks for having me. Bye. All right. And here comes a little more of this. Iono. No namea ai, kamaika iyo ke kuke anna, paia anna, omaia anna. I am Iono no kapoile hua, ikabalipondo, kominiya, kodiya anna, kapobalianda. Iono no katlavalu. Come up on no, call a lion, 
I suffered while at college, I ate in dining halls, and I had a case of agita that started every fall. Every night a lousy meal, a midnight snack, and then early in the morning I was on the john again. When the term is over and my heart burns at a peak, 
That's the only time I see some good food for a week. I drive up to the west side, and before I stop the car, my ma leans out the window, and she hollers, Don't go far. Go wash your hands and sit right down and have a bite to eat. There's cold cuts in the Frigidaire or ziti I can heat. And here's some eggplant parmesan left over from last night. So grab a plate and fill it up and eat to your heart's delight. Ravioli, cannoli, linguine, zucchini, fried eel, congeli, and pasta, vazul, pepperoni, spumoni, and ani lasagna. Put sauces and peppers and baccala too. Hot tortellini with green fettuccine, some provolone, minestrone, and cabotel. Peaches and vino, some hot cappuccino, prosciutto, and figs. And a hot sfogliadelle. Have some gabagool, my boy, and here's some mozzarella. There's gava deals and tallianils, my nods, they're hot as hell. There's broccoli, rob, and supersad, we got it hot and sweet. And for a treat, have pizza free, cause there's still more to eat. Ravioli, cannoli, linguine, zucchini, fried eel, congeli, and pasta, azul, pepperoni, spumoni, and onion, lasagna, put sauces and peppers and baccala too. Hot tortellini with green fettuccine, some provolone, minestrone, and cabotel. Peaches and vino, some hot cappuccino, prosciutto, and figs. And a hot sfogliadelle. Have some calamad, my boy, and here's some aglio oud. I'll put some meatballs and brujol in a bag to take to school. Whenever you're on the road, my boy, wherever you may eat. When you come back, there'll always be a full dish at your seat. Because we got from the side. 
The reggae to the beat, you see, cause I, cause I am the Rasta man, and I'd like to say hello to the red, the white, the black, the brown, the purple, and yellow. A chicken die singing, cause I am the woman's man, and I'd like to say hello to the red, the white, the black, the brown, the purple, and set red, red, white. It's up to ไปก็มีแต่ฝนโปรยปรายในหัวใจก็มีแต่ความเหน็บหนาวอันท้องฟ้าที่มองไม่เห็นแสงดาวคือเหน็บหนาวยิ่งทำให้ใจเรานาว
give almost anything to be even half that smooth. Yeah, that was Singto Numchuk. Uh, he's a, a gentleman from Thailand. He was singing in Thai, and that song was called Coffee Mate, and it's from uh, a collection of concerts that they do in Hawaii, uh, uh, Hawaii. Uh, what are they called, Lee? Well, it's the HI sessions. HI sessions. So the HI right. sessions, so the Hawaii sessions, and they ta- always take place in these just exquisite locations, and uh, the musicians are fantastic. And it's usually just, you know, a couple of people, you know, sometimes they'll have a bigger group. But, you know, it's usually just like simple and either on a lanai or in a living room or mm-hmm. somewhere with beautiful, beautiful lands behind. Yeah. And so uh, that was Singo Numchuk. And he plays with a guy named, Kale- see if I can say this right, Clay Gamayo, who just plays the most beautiful ukulele. Singto Namchak, he plays good ukulele, but not, it's not the lead that this other guy plays. It's fabulous. Before that, we had uh, Red, Red, Red Red Wine, played by Capena. Capena. So who, who wrote Red Red Wine? Well, this is, this is rope-a-dope. Well, the first, <laughs> the first uh, thought that came up was UB40, which was the group that I had known. But, of course, they did not write the song Red Red Wine. It's actually Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond strikes again, man. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and then before that, we heard Uncle Zach, our beloved Uncle Zach, uh, playing uh, the Italian food song. Uh, you said that was a takeoff of a Sh- Alan Sherman song? Well, it sounded like, well, it's an Alan, Alan Sherman song that was a parody of some other folk song, right? And uh, but yeah, it was uh, on. It's about visiting the family out on, uh, out deep in the heart of the Bronx or Brooklyn or something. I don't know. Some some new totally New York meet the Jewish family. It was like had all the funny names and everything. It was super good. So Uncle Zach made it meet the Italian family. It was well, but he went with food instead of the family. So not a bad choice. Yeah, I would say. Uh, before that, we had Peanut Butter Cheeseburger, uh, which was uh, performed by the, uh, goodness gracious, Peanut Butter Cheeseburger, the Star Wish Ukulele Band. I don't know. Where do you find this stuff, Carmen? You know, uh, for this particular uh, show, my um, my searching strategy was ukulele plus any piece of food. So uh, when I typed in peanut, peanut butter cheeseburger came up with this very delightful instrumental tune. And, um, you know, 
that right there is my entire winnowing process. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my, my curatorial genius laid bare once again. Uh, that, that's where we uh, do, are. We caught up? Yeah, I think we're all caught up. You're listening to uh, Ukuleles Unleashed on WGXC ninety three point seven ninety point seven ninety point seven Acre nine zero point seven. There's no ninety point three. So ninety point seven Acre WGXC Ukuleles Unleashed, hosted by Carmen Borgia. That is me and John Johnny Sturman. Sturman. over there, and uh, special guests today. Lee Van Swall and Michael Delarocco. All right, in there. So, what are we thankful for today? Anybody? We just got to let's take a quick take a quick moment. What are you thankful for, John? I'm thankful for honeybees. I know that's like funny, but I'm thankful for honeybees. They bring us honey and pollen and propolis, and there's all sorts of fabulous things that we can make from that. Honestly. There's nothing funny about that. That's a total heartfelt it nice is. thing. And, and I'm mentioning this also because Mike is also a beekeeper and has the same kind of love affair with bees that I do. Right, Mike? Well, if it weren't for the honeybees, we wouldn't have food. And this <laughs> show is about food, so oh, it, yeah, all comes, it all comes back to that. So the bees come together. But, Mike, what are you thankful for? And bees are already taken because John bogarted the bees as a <laughs> well, grateful was, gratitude I, topic. I, I'm grateful to be here. It's uh, so nice to uh, meet so many people in the uh, ukulele community, and it seems as if it's growing all the time. And we hear about new groups developing, and uh, it's just wonderful. All right, Lee? Well, I should have gone next because I was going to say the ukulele community. Sorry, taken. Okay, Man. Taken. See, um, this is what happens if you're the third in line. There's like nothing <laughs> left. There must okay, be some so, uh, telepathy going so on. So I'm, I'm grateful for Netflix because now that we're in the off season at the Greenville Drive-In, I get to just like noodle around and, and watch crazy movies and see all sorts of things. Well, that's pretty cool. That's a really great thing. And Carmen, what are you thankful for? Well, naturally, I'm thankful for the folks I get to play ukulele with, which is really an awesome No, No, that thing. is already the ukulele community, and that was taken. Uh, that was taken like two people yeah, ago. Yeah, so that was, <laughs> I, I that's, yeah. Matt, how about next close. answer. How about for just thankful for ukuleles? No, look, I want to try to bust it out here a little bit. So uh, I do play Xbox, and I'm thankful for that. I'm very thankful for my, my wife and sweetie, Allison, who... Uh, uh, Helps me get through the days, and it's a it's a really nice thing to have a nice person to hang out with. So I'll I can that. attest, Allison's fabulous. Big shout out to you, Allison. Yeah, it was great. And Mike wasn't grateful for Allison, and you weren't grateful for Allison, so mm-hmm. she hadn't been used yet. Yep. Oh man, if I had known, I would have gone there because I'm grateful for Allison then, too. Then I would have just been had nothing left at that point. All right, so let's. Uh, so we're gonna play a few songs here. So uh, let's see, we got about twenty five minutes left. So uh, yeah, let's let's run another little set of music here. Uh, let's see, let's start off with uh, <laughs> Turkey in the Straw. Let's see what happens. <laughs>
I'm Danielle Ate the Sandwich, and you're listening to Ukuleles Unleashed on WGXC Acra, 90.7 FM, radio for open ears. The closet coats hung safe in quieter places. The chicken was silent in its cooking blazes. My tongue was heavy and hiding in the back of its cage. Scavenging cabinets to make conversation Looking under couch cushions for sophistication I thought I had taste, but I don't even know what time it is Ooh, I got soul, I got soul But you'd never know Across the table from me, the terrible dinner guest. I am a middle school boy at the sock hop. I'm clinging to walls to avoid any small talk. I'm only here with my hair combed because my mother made me. Crossing tables were soft and engaging But I couldn't quite rouse myself to the occasion Put a note on my list to learn more talking points About organic gardening Across the table from me, the terrible dinner guest. After making a vow for a life's worth of silence I'm trading my voice in for land legs Just like the mermaid Ooh, I got soul, I got soul But you'd never know 
across the table from me the terrible dinner guest. If you wanna do right by your appetite, if you're fussy about your food, take a choo choo today head to Iowa and we'll put you in the happiest mood.
Join you. 
I would say that would be a bit of Ryder Cooley. Ryder Cooley uh, and the Dust Bowl Fairies playing Black Rhino from their latest album, uh, Beloved Monster. Hudson's own, right? Ryder's local, pretty local. Ryder lives in Catskill. Lives in Catskill. Fantastic. You know, she has quite a presence in Hudson because she runs the open mic at uh, at Club Helsinki on Tuesday nights. That's pretty cool. Uh, Before that, we had Shoe Fly Pie. Uh, by Terry, play, played by Terry Katz uh, from a CD called My Ukulele Songs. And it is pie season, which is my favorite season of the whole year. What's When does pie season begin? In January, and it ends in December. <laughs> and pies, we're talking about the pies we bake, not the pies we hunt. The yeah. pies we bake, and pie is, I believe, the perfect breakfast food. Oh, yeah. I don't think Not you're going to find any argument in this one. that you compute with. <laughs> well, before that, we heard uh, the appropriate artist, Danielle Ate the Sandwich, uh, playing her title, t- title track from uh, album uh, t- The Terrible Dinner Guest. It's a really fun song. I love that. And uh, we kicked off the top of the set with uh, Turkey and the Straw by the Langley Ukulele Ensemble. Um, as if you couldn't guess that that was an ensemble. And uh, so Turkey in the Straw, Turkey Day, Turkey in the Day yeah. of the Straw, the Straw Day. Straw Day? <laughs> I don't know. straw dee da doo Well, I, I'm Turkey going to my pie. mother's what else? for Thanksgiving. You're going to your mother's? I'm going to my mother's for Thanksgiving. And All right. I think that, that uh, we're going to play a song. What's the culinary lineup? You know, I don't know. It's uh, it it could be a very interesting dinner. I'm very I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be interesting. But you say there will be a song that will be played. Yeah. You say uh, by we. It'll probably be uh, uh, Katie is coming with me. Okay. So Katie and I m- will play a song. So you're not your mother's not playing a song with you. No, my mother my mother's not going to play a song. All right. She'll go. That's oh, that's my boy. Whatever I do, I could you know <laughs> do nothing. But you know it's my mother. So so better that you play a song than do something. Antisocial or destructive, right? Yeah, gonna, no. I don't is it going to have a Thanksgiving theme? Yeah. What is this song? We could, we could do sandwiches. I don't know. Just we'll, say we'll do sandwiches. We'll do sandwiches in a minute. We're going to play ourselves out here. Hey, we're uh, we're close to the end of our show here. Uh, this is Ukuleles Unleashed uh, with your host Carmen Borgia. I'm Johnny Sturman, and uh, we're here to bring you the very best, the very most innovative, the most comprehensive, the most far-reaching coverage of ukulele songs that girdles this great globe of ours. Uh, yeah, we're we're getting, we're keep expanding our collections of ukulele music, and we'll bring it to you. Uh, we were very fortunate this evening to be joined by Bill Wynn, uh, who uh, uh, John Sturman tracked down and got to be on our show so that was a pretty fantastic thing yeah that was great and we've had uh, a special guest Levon Swall and um, Michael Della Roca welcome to the happy thing. to be here oh it's great to be here um, yeah thank you for uh, for putting up with us and uh, for coming and playing ukulele when you play and then coming and helping us pick out some songs Lee picked out some of these songs tonight it was pretty cool so, Mike too um, alright so look Thanksgiving, if all foods could be any food that they could be, what food would they be? I think it's very obvious that they would be a sandwich. 
I think anything can be made into a sandwich. And you, you can make anything into a sandwich. Eventually, everything's going to be a sandwich. Sandwiches are beautiful, sandwiches are fine. I like sandwiches, I eat them all the time. I eat them for my breakfast and I eat them for my lunch. If I had a hundred sandwiches, I'd eat them all at once. I'm roaming and I'm rambling and I'm wandering along. And if you care to listen, I'll sing this jolly song. I do not ask a favor and I do not ask a fee But if you have a sandwich, won't you give a bite to me? Cause Sandwiches are beautiful, sandwiches are fine I like sandwiches, I eat them all the time I eat them for my breakfast and I eat them for my lunch If I had a hundred sandwiches, I'd eat them all at once once I went to England, I visited the Queen. I swear that she was the grandest lady that I had ever seen. I told her she was beautiful and could not ask for more. I handed me a sandwich and she threw me out the door. Cause sandwiches are beautiful, sandwiches are fine. I eat them all the time. I eat them for my breakfast and I eat them for my lunch. If I had a hundred sandwiches, I eat them all at once. Well, a sandwich may be cake or cheese or even peanut butter. But they all taste so good to me, it doesn't even matter. Jam or egg or cucumber, or any kind will do. If I had a hundred sandwiches, I'd give them all with you. Oh, sandwiches are beautiful, sandwiches are fine. I like sandwiches, I eat them all the time. I eat them for my breakfast and I eat them for my lunch. If I had a hundred sandwiches, I'd eat them all at once. She's my sunshine in the rain My Tylenol when I'm in pain, yeah Tell you what she means to me Like a tall glass of lemonade When it's burning hot on summer days She's exactly what I need She's soothing like The ocean rushing on the sand She takes care of me Baby, and she helps me be a better man. She's so beautiful. Sometimes I stop to close my eyes. She's exactly what I need. 
smile when I'm feeling blue. She's my good night's sleep when the day is through. Yeah. Let me tell you what she means to me. She's kind of like this. Kind of like the feeling after your first kiss, except that every day she makes me feel like this. She's exactly what I need. Oh yeah, she's soothing like the ocean rushing on the sand. She takes care of me, baby. She helps me be a better man. She's so beautiful. Sometimes I stop to close my eyes. She's exactly what I need. Yeah, she's soothing like the ocean rushing on the sand. She takes care of me, baby. She helps me be a better man. She's so beautiful. Sometimes I stop to close my eyes. She's exactly what I need. She's exactly what I need. Hello, this is Cleo, and you're.